to the Living Rock Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us to listen to this message. Whoever you are and wherever you're listening from, we trust that you'll be equipped, envisioned and encouraged as you listen today. share on on the subject of the supernatural church this morning but before I say anything else I've got has anybody heard of a guy called Francis Chan Um, he's an American uh, preacher pastor teacher he's a fantastic guy I really appreciate his insights and he's part of uh, was part of a mega church over in America and he's um, some things have shifted and changed for him but he's he's Born again, he's full of the Holy Spirit, he's got some great things to say. So there's a little video I'd like us to watch at the start, it's just about five minutes long, and then I'll come back and share. Run VT. But I really appreciate that, that picture, that image of people putting all their effort into making the church move, and actually the church has its own power, its own energy, its own source, its own fuel, and that's the Holy Spirit. And um, God wants us to be a a people that are so aware of the supernatural and aware of what the Holy Spirit's doing. You know, in Genesis 28, uh, Jacob is on the run from his brother. And it's in that place where he gets a a stone and he falls asleep. And then he has this, this vision. Jacob has this vision of this ladder with angels ascending and descending. And And there's this point where heaven and earth have made contact and there's angelic movement and he sets up the pillow and makes it into a, a pillar. And he dedicates it to the Lord. And he names the place something. Does anybody know what he calls that place? He calls it Bethel, which means the house of God. Because surely, he said, God was in this place. And I hadn't discerned it. I hadn't recognized it. But you know, when we talk about the church, the church is often described and called, rightly so, the house of God. And it's in the house of God that we see this supernatural movement between heaven and earth and that we should expect in our gatherings. You know, as Susan was praying, I believe there was angelic movement among us of bringing and distributing peace. She wasn't praying to an angel. She wasn't, we weren't worshipping angels. But as we worship Jesus, as we exalt him, as we recognize that the Holy Spirit's among us and that there's a heavenly realm and a supernatural realm that's very real, more real, more long-lasting than the physical, temporal realm that's around us, that the Holy Spirit is moving and that there are angels coming and ministering. That where we are, that an angel can come alongside us and strengthen us. We see time and again in Scripture, angelic visitation. And as soon as sometimes we start talking about angels, we say, oh, be careful. I'm going to get too weird. I'm going to get too oddball. But there's nothing oddball about it. They are messengers. They're, they're part of God's provision for us. And I believe there was an angelic move among us as Susan prayed. Why? Because David said it last a couple of weeks ago, everything about the church is supernatural. Uh, I, as a physiotherapist, my title is protected. When I, was, when I became a physiotherapist, it, um, because I'd done my degree and I was now registered with the Chartered Society of Physiotherapists, I could call myself a physiotherapist. And before that, I couldn't do it. I couldn't call myself a physio. Nobody could do it. It was a protected title. But I would still be classed as and called a chartered physiotherapist. In a sense, 
the chartered bit didn't matter. I couldn't call myself a physiotherapist unless I was chartered. And in the same way, the church is the church. It's the supernatural church. But in a sense, if it's not supernatural, it's not really the church. It's just another group. It's just another club. It's just another organization. We're a special interest group. We're a, a community action group. You know, there's lots of wonderful things we could be. We're a book group <laughs> that happen to read the same book every week. But no, we're not a special interest group. We're not a book group. We're not a, a community action group. We're the church. We're the people of God. Where God lives by his spirit. Separates us and sets us apart. And you know what uh, Francis Chan was saying about we can get to the point where we're so good at doing stuff that we stop relying on the Holy Spirit. Our structures are good enough. Our patterns are good enough. Our, our, our musicians are good enough. Our kids' work is good enough. The guy who talks is just about good enough. The, 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 the care that we have is, is good enough. Our, our outreach programs are good enough. And then, Holy Spirit, we're good now. Thanks. Thanks for getting us started, but I think we've got it covered from here on in. Can you imagine? But far too often we, we do that. We, we have all of our organizations, all of our plans, all of our businesses. nothing wrong with those things. But if we start to do them in such a way that we rely on those things more than the Holy Spirit, we've got big problems. And we're better off shutting some stuff down, not doing some things, and going back to the basics of saying, this church is a supernatural church. We need the Holy Spirit. Sharon spoke last week and she said about how the Holy Spirit identifies us and that he's our inheritance and that we are to make an investment with what the Holy Spirit has given us. And that is what the church is here to do. The supernatural church. And therefore, I want to just really make this statement today. The church, the supernatural church is just like Jesus. Just like Jesus. Okay? And so I've got five things to say about why the church, what the church should be like and how it should be just like Jesus. Does that sound okay? So the first thing is this, the church is heavenly. Did you know that? When, you, when, when we gather together, right, this is heavenly. I mean, the plastic chairs, not quite so heavenly, but a bit brown, aren't they? But the fact is that when we are born again, when we're saved, we are, the Bible describes us as being born from above. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus says, how do I enter the kingdom of God? Jesus says you have to be born of, the, born of water and born of the Spirit, and then you are born from above, born again. We're born in heaven. Suddenly our spirits come alive, and there's a heavenly part of us that has now been breathed into us, if you like, into our, into our innermost being. We're born from above. On my Twitter account, I'm just, I describe myself as a man from Wales, living in England, born from above. Because that's where my identity actually lies. I love being Welsh, I love living in England, but actually my ultimate identity is the fact that I'm born from above. I'm heavenly. You're heavenly. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're heavenly today. You look heavenly today. <laughs> do you know how many times Jesus talks about the church? How many times do you think Jesus talks about the church? In his teachings and in his instruction and... How many times do you think Jesus talks about the church in the Gospels? Twice. Twice he talks about the church. Both in Matthew 16. Matthew 16 and Matthew 18. So if you turn in your Bibles to Matthew 16. If Jesus has anything to say about the church, we should probably read it. Know what he has to say about us. And um, it's this wonderful description of Jesus and Peter and this great relationship that Peter has with Jesus, which I love. Very real, very raw and very... 
wonderfully kind of all over the place. <laughs> and they're in a place called Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi, which was renowned for having lots of idols and, and uh, sacred places. Lots of different gods were worshipped there. It was one of those places that because of how it was naturally, it had drawn lots of people to have lots of different gods and, and altars and all sorts of things. And it's in that context that Jesus asked this question, who do people say I am? And they start saying, well, some people say you're John the Baptist, other people say you're Elijah, other people think that you're you know, Justin Bieber or whoever it might be that they start kind of coming up with these different people and other people and lots of other names. And then this is the kicker, the question that Jesus asks them. Okay, that's fine, but who do you say I am? I was talking to a guy in the gym the other day and I said, the question that Jesus asks Peter, who do you say I am, is the most important question that Jesus asks all of us because what we have to say about Jesus, who we believe Jesus is, determines everything. He says, who do you say I am? And Peter pipes up. He's such a piper, isn't he, Peter? And he says, you're the, you're the Messiah, you're the son of God. The son of the living God. And Jesus is blown away. He's thinking, Peter got it right. And he says, wow, yes, you're blessed, Simon. Um, Bar Jonah, or son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You didn't learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the powers of hell will not conquer it, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Jesus is talking about the church. He's saying, on this rock, I will build my church. And immediately he starts talking about heaven and earth. And hell gets a mention as well. All of a sudden, everything is opened up when Jesus starts talking about the church. Why? Because the church is heavenly. We are heavenly. Starts with a revelation of who Jesus is. Each one of us have had that. And as a result, we've been brought into the church, into the people of God, because we've said, you're the Messiah you're the son of the living God. I'm going to follow you immediately, born from above. The Holy Spirit comes to live in us. He brings us into the body of Christ. And then our job is clear. We have a job to do on earth that absolutely involves heaven and totally will have an impact on hell. Supernatural. We're heavenly. Jesus says this, I am building my church. When I read that, I feel such a relief. Because sometimes as a church pastor, it's like, oh, we've got to, you know, we'll meet as elders. And we're like, how are we going to build the church this week? What are we going to do? What, what, what are we going to put in place next? What are we going to do next to make the church built up? And then we realize, actually, all we've got to do is worship Jesus. He's building the church. We've got to direct people to Jesus. He's building the church. Thank you, Lord. Phew. Because I don't know what's going on. But Jesus says, I'm building my church. And then he goes on to say, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it and and that word uh, gates is is likened to a vast prison but here's the thing it's not hell on the attack towards the church it's the church going to the gates of hell and performing the ultimate prison break and releasing all of the people that were held captive by the enemy and bringing them into a heavenly realm supernatural you know when you share your faith you're kicking against the gates of hell when you tell someone about Jesus, when you pray for somebody, hell's gates are getting pushed and they're blown open and people are being brought from the kingdom or the realm or domain of darkness into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of heaven. That's exciting, isn't it? 
And he says to them, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. What's he saying? He's saying, now you've got a heavenly perspective. Now you know what heaven looks like. The Holy Spirit starts to show us what heaven is like. In heaven, there is no sickness. So if you encounter it on earth, guess what you can do? Bind sickness on earth and loose health. Susan, in her prayers, she said, she, she talked about anxiety being disempowered or, or, or to be gone. She was binding it and in place she was loosing what? Peace. Why? Because the prince of peace rules completely in heaven. Therefore, when we bring peace onto the earth, we're bringing the kingdom of heaven into the earth. The church is heavenly. That's supernatural stuff. We worship a guy who lived as a man 2,000 years ago, but he's not a guy. He's God. But the fact is, we believe that he lived 2,000 years ago as a man for 30 years that he died and he rose again and he ascended to heaven 2,000 years ago and we're singing songs to him today. Either we're crazy or we are supernatural. We have to be one of those two. It's true, isn't it? And then in these other verses, in Ephesians 2, 19 to 22 and 1 Peter 2, 9 and Sharon picked up some stuff from 1 Peter 2, 9 about who we now are now that we belong to Christ. And if you just turn to Ephesians 2, I just want to, there are parallels between these two verses, uh, these, these two portions of scripture, one that Paul writes in, to the Ephesians and one that Peter writes to the churches in Asia Minor that he, he introduces uh, his letter to at the beginning. But if we just look at, at um, the Ephesians 2, 19, because in Peter, Peter's writing, he says that you are a, a chosen race, a holy nation, that you're a royal priesthood belonging to God, displaying his glory and his light. And what does Paul have to say about who, who we are? Ephesians 2.19 says, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. Isn't that great? You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. That speaks of a nation. You know, I was born, as I said, in Wales. I'm proud to be Welsh. I support Wales when I watch the rugby passionately, too passionately. And I get really grumpy when they lose, which means I'm quite regularly grumpy on a Saturday afternoon. Not really, not really. It doesn't last too long. Sarah beats, me up, beats it out of me. But it says, actually, now your national identity isn't in an earthly. Uh, it's, your identity is not earthly anymore. It's heavenly. You're God's holy people. That's your nationality now, heavenly. And then he goes on to say, and you're members of whose family? God's family. The other says, you're a chosen race. That word race that's used there is in, in Peter talks about offspring and family. We belong to the family of God. It's a heavenly family, heavenly nation, heavenly family. And then he goes on to say, and we are carefully joined together, verse 22, in him becoming a holy temple for the Lord. We're a heavenly nation, we're a heavenly family, we're a heavenly house. This is the house of God, where God lives by his Holy Spirit. And so we're founded, we're grounded, but we're built by a living Savior who's the chief cornerstone. Everything is directed by him. He extends it, he builds it, he grows it, and he fills it supernaturally with his Holy Spirit. That's the church that we're a part of. We're heavenly. It's a case of knowing who we really are knowing where our lives really are. Little girl is out with her grandmother walking in the hills. I'm going to say the Brecon Beacons. 
don't know why I thought the Breckenridge Bridge is funny. And she thinks this is a wonderful opportunity. She sees Panavan in all of its glory, the highest peak in South Wales, with snow glistening, glistening on the top of it. And she points it out to her. She realizes it's an opportunity to show her granddaughter something about the wonder of God. And she says, sweetie, look at this incredible countryside. This was made by the hand of God. And the little granddaughter looked up to her and said, yes, Nan, you're right. It's amazing. And not only that, God did it with his left hand. And the grandmother was a bit confused. She was like, what do you mean God did it with his left hand? And she said, well, everybody knows that Jesus sits on God's right hand. <laughs> Never mind. That was really bad. Sorry. <laughs> but listen, Colossians 3, verse 1 to 3. Paul writes, and he says, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits at God's right hand. He says, that's where your real life is. It's with him in heavenly places. Don't think about the things of earth. Think about the things of heaven. How often are we thinking about heavenly things? For me, not enough. Because if I think about heaven, I think about who Jesus is. I think about how exalted and glorious he is. I think about the one name who holds weight above them all. I see him. I can be in the throne room of God as I worship him, as I pray. I'm welcomed into his presence. I get a fresh perspective of who God is, of who Jesus is. I see that I'm able to stand there in his presence, surrounded by others who are worshiping him. And from that perspective, then I look at earthly things. Far too often we do it the other way around. We went to, uh, it's almost always going to be Welsh today. We went to Raglan Castle. And as we went to the top of the the turret, the tower at Raglan Castle, looked down and you think, man, this is surprisingly high. But what I remember is there was a guy that I was standing next to at the bottom who was a lot bigger than me, a lot taller than me, a lot more buff than me. He looked like a proper solid rugby guy. But when I got to the top and I looked down and I spotted the same guy, I thought, I could take him. <laughs> Why? Because I had a heavenly perspective. And far too often we're looking at the giant from an earthly perspective and God's saying, come up. You're supernatural, you're heavenly, this is where your real home is, this is where your real life is. Come up here and then take a look. And all of a sudden, the enemy, the giant, looks a lot less scary, a lot less threatening because we see things from a heavenly perspective. It's who we really are. Secondly, supernatural church, just like Jesus, is heavenly and it's full of life. Jesus was full of life. I love reading how Jesus... Uh, lived his life. He was full of life. And he went and he said, um, in John 10, 10, he says, the son has come to give you life. The enemy's come to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you may have great times on a Sunday. I've come that you may have something to do on a Sunday morning when everybody else is taking their kids to football. <laughs> I've come that you may have life and life in all of its abundance. And I was thinking about in Genesis 2, uh, the, uh, the way that God makes Adam out of the dust. Have you ever wondered what Adam looks like or would have looked like? I kind of, I'm quite curious because this was literally God's handiwork. So what I reckon is this. He was a really, really good looking guy. He was just this perfect male specimen. And there he was in the dust. But you know what he was? Ultimately, he was a really handsome corpse. He was a good-looking trip hazard. That's basically all that he was until God did something. What did he do? He breathed into him and then Adam comes alive. 
And there's that whole thing again of that tractor, you know, just sitting there making a sound, but nothing really happening, and then pushing it and pulling it. It's kind of a ridiculous story, isn't it, to see him doing that? But all of a sudden, when the life comes, movement comes. You know, when something's alive, it moves. When something alive it is alive, it, it, it recreates. And as he's alive and breathing, he starts to name the animals. He starts to rule. And then God looks at him and says, yeah, that was good. I mean, he's really, really good, but I could probably do a little bit better. So he puts him to sleep and he takes a rib out and he forms Eve and he thinks, there you go. And there's an opportunity for Adam and Eve to form and to fill and to fulfill the purposes of God. Why? Because they're full of life. And uh, when Paul is preaching to, to the people in Athens in Acts 17, 28, he uses a phrase from Epimenides, who was a Greek philosopher. And he says this, in him, we live and move and have our being. We used to sing that song back in the day. Had a real kind of like Jewishy kind of, hoy, 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 kind of, in him we live and move. Anyway, but the point is this, it's life. That it's in him we have life. Moses understood this as he stands before God in Exodus and he says, Lord, unless you go with us, don't send us from this place. Unless your presence is with us. Why? We've got to be a supernatural people. Otherwise, we don't look, like, we look the same as everybody else on planet Earth. There's a Johnny Cash song. He says that you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Has anybody heard that phrase? So heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. My concern is, that if we're not heavenly minded, we won't be any earthly good. We'll just be stuck on the earth like everyone else. But we have the spirit in us, the one who brings life. Jesus talks about that he is the spring, living water that comes from us. So just like Jesus, we're heavenly. Just like Jesus, church is full of life. And then there's some things the church is not. And these are things that Jesus was not. The church, a supernatural church, is not super spiritual. It's not superstitious. Every time I read that, I'm going to sing. It's not superficial, and it's not super serious. But these sometimes are things that are attributed to what it means to be supernatural. Especially the first two, I think. Super spiritual. To be supernatural doesn't mean you have to be weird or wacky or flaky or odd or creepy or strange, okay? You can be those things. God will help us, but that's not what it means to be supernatural. Super, to be super spiritual, it means we kind of deny reality and we're sort of, we're sort of we, we, we use spiritual things to deflect what's really going on and what's true. That's not what the supernatural is about. If you're struggling with an issue, if you're struggling with sin, if you're struggling with sickness... If you, if you admit to that, God's not going to look down at you and say, well, there you go, you made your bed. Can't believe you admitted to having the flu. Won't be healing you today. Sometimes we like that. We get like weirdly super spiritual about things. God is very capable of dealing with our reality. He knows the reality. And sometimes he's like, just be real with me. Just be real with them. And then I can actually move into this situation. We're not super spiritual, but we are people of the Spirit. And, and David talked a few weeks ago about the Holy Spirit gets to decide what's decent. 
and indecent. And there are some things that we think are decent that actually he considers to be indecent. Anything that we do that we think, yes, well, that will be much better if we do it that way. That way, the Holy Spirit can't move too much and nobody's going to get too freaked out. That's indecent to the Holy Spirit. There will be times when the Spirit moves and somebody might cry, somebody might laugh, somebody might fall over, somebody might lie on the floor, somebody might shout something out or start dancing, whatever it might be. But we mustn't be afraid of those things. And we mustn't try and shut those things out to the detriment of, of being free to allow the Holy Spirit to move. But equally, they don't mean that the Holy Spirit's moving either. Do you know that to be supernatural also means that the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom and he gives us knowledge? Here's a good one. He gives us self-control. He gives us insight and discernment. Those are the things that the Holy Spirit, that's what it means to be supernatural. Secondly, we're not superstitious. Well, I haven't got long, but if I read this verse, that should probably set me up and stop any pianos from falling on my head until noon. And then I'll get another one in to just get me through to the afternoon. Because if I don't read the Bible, bad things are going to happen to me. And if I don't pray or listen to something, then, then that probably will be a little bit unlucky. And I better wear my, my, my crucifix or my what would Jesus do bracelet. It's like my rabbit's foot. I'm just going to rub it for a bit of luck. We're not superstitious. This weird kind of good and evil in some sort of battle and, and strange things that we do have a cause and effect relationship and we're not quite sure why. That's not what being supernatural is about. Being supernatural is just about living by faith. Faith in the promises of God as we've read this morning. What God says we do and we apply it by faith. And here's the wonderful thing about God. God has got an incredibly sensitive palate for faith. Sometimes you think, God, I've only got a trace amount of faith. Have you ever looked on the back of a packet of something and see what the ingredients are? And it might say, like, protein, trace. All I know is that, that means there's hardly any in it. But they have to include it. Sometimes there's situations we face and literally think, Lord, all the faith I've got, if I have to list it, trace. God says, that's fine, I can taste it. I only ask for a mustard seed. And that's mountain moving stuff. And so the supernatural is, again, don't compare your faith to somebody else's faith. Never limit somebody else's faith because yours is limited. And never do it the other way around and, and, and make them have a faith that they don't have because you have a greater faith than they do. We mustn't do that. God only asks you to use the faith that you've got. And that's what it means to be supernatural. Jesus did everything by faith. Everything full of the Holy Spirit. And God's palate is there, and he, he says the righteous live by faith. Without faith, it's, it's impossible to please God. But as soon as there's faith in whatever we do, as soon as I give, I'm not giving because I'm afraid of some sort of superstitious reason, or I'm not praying out of some superstitious reason, or reading the word to be lucky. But as I do those things in faith, as I lay my hands on somebody in faith, and I apply the whatever faith I have to that, God blesses it. And it's supernatural. The evidence of what's not yet seen, but you know it's there, and you bring it into now. That's supernatural. Not super spiritual, not superstitious, and not superficial. You know, we don't gather together on a Sunday for our supernatural high for the week. We all get kicks, and then we disappear and do our own thing for the rest of the week, and see you next week for our next supernatural high. And relationships with one another are superficial. And our relationships with God and the Holy Spirit are so that we feel good. 
as a result of that time that we had with him. It's not about that. Being supernatural means that my relationship with you and other believers, my relationship with Jesus, my relationship with the Holy Spirit, my relationship with the Father deepens and grows and becomes greater and greater all the time. It's not so that I know what God can do for me. It's just so that I can know God in relationship with him. There's nothing superficial about being supernatural. And it's not super serious. I'm really glad about that. Not dour. It's not, oh, the Holy Spirit's moving. Everybody just frown a little bit. You know how scared he is of smiles. Okay, he's gone. He's gone, everyone. He's gone. Uh, right, what should we do now? Should we have some lunch? That'd be great. That's not how it works. He wants us to always be supernatural. He wants, you know, one of the great gifts of fruit, sorry, one part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy. Jesus was full of joy. Everything that he did, joy. Okay, next slide, please. Part one in Luke, part two in Acts. All I want to do here really is parallel Jesus and the church in, in Luke and Acts. And um, if I could have just a couple of volunteers for a minute, just to hold some paper up. It's not too heavy. Thanks, Carl. You can do the first two. If you face, this is Carl, this is, this is a lovely man with a great t-shirt. All right. When I, when I read Luke and when I was reading Acts, I realized there are so many parallels between Jesus' origins and the origins of the church. And both, we know Luke writes book one, part one, Luke's gospel, and part two, Acts, and he introduces it to, in my first book, Theophilus, great name, just means lover of God. So if you love God, you can read it, you're not reading somebody else's mail. And the first thing that he describes is Jesus, well, firstly, is the angel coming to Mary. And in Luke 1.35, you can turn it up, make sure I'm not lying or making it up. Luke 1.35, the angel says that she'll conceive a child. Spirit will come upon you. It's a very specific, deliberate phrase. It's actually only used nine times this phrase in the New Testament, and only twice is it used in referring to the Holy Spirit. And it so happens that the first time is with the promise that comes to Mary. And the second time is when Jesus speaks to the disciples and he says, wait in Jerusalem, don't go anywhere until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And it literally means like an attack. <laughs> Other times it's used as that sort of phrase that this kind of coming down upon. But that's exactly what that the, the promise is there for, was there for Jesus and it's there for the church. The same promise, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Secondly, if you've got two arms, you can do two, can't you? I can see it, you're ambidextrous. Is that in Luke and in Acts, there's a proclamation. There's this wonderful parallel. Just after Jesus is born and just after Jesus' ascension into heaven, there, you have a, this kind of meeting between angels and shepherds. And in Luke's gospel, it's literally shepherds. Angels come and say, the son has been born. And then in Acts, it's the shepherds of, it's those who are going to care for the, for the sheep, for the flock, the apostles. And the angels are like, guys, what are you doing? Looking up into heaven. You've got stuff to do. The same way you've seen him go is the same way you'll see him return. But again, this proclamation of, of what's going to happen, we see in Jesus and we see in the church. Do have another volunteer? Andy, you're looking like you're ready. I can see like a coiled spring. Or a loose slinky. I can't quite work it out yet. 
Then there's a time of preparation. So we have the promise, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, a proclamation, this pulling together of angelic and earthly ministries and angels and shepherds. And then a time of preparation. And in Luke's gospel, we read about Jesus' life. And we read about him growing in wisdom and stature and in favor with those around him, with God and the people. And guess what? how the church is described later on in Acts? It grew in numbers and with favor with the people. Again, this parallel, this similarity. But talks about him being at the age of 12, going to the, well, before that, Anna and Simeon, when he's been dedicated, about 10 days old. Then when he's 12 years old, he's back at the temple again. The disciples have to be reestablished back to 12. Just throw that in there. I don't really know if that really matters too much. But we see a time of preparation, both in the life of Jesus and in the life of the church. These parallels, we're just like Jesus. And then the provision. Jesus it goes to see John the Baptist at the river Jordan and, and John baptizes Jesus. And in Luke's gospel and Mark, I think all of them record this. John doesn't actually, but the, the synoptic gospels all record this moment where we see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. This beautiful picture of the Godhead in one snapshot. The Son is being obedient to the Father. He's baptized. The Father in heaven speaks and the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove many wonderful Christian pictures have been painted ever since. But, but again, in, as they meet in the upper room, they gather together and there the Holy Spirit descends upon them. This provision of the Holy Spirit. Could I have another volunteer? Yes. All right, here we go. You get a good one. Power. Talks about Jesus then going into the wilderness he fasts for 40 days, part of his preparation, and he comes out of the wilderness full of the power of the Holy Spirit. And that the church pours out onto the streets under the power of the Holy Spirit. They're speaking in tongues, a crowd gathers, and they're ready to preach the gospel. And it leads up to this, the ultimate purpose. Jesus goes to the synagogue and he unrolls the scroll and he reads from Isaiah 61, verse 1 to 2. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim release for the captives, sight for the blind, that the oppressed will be set free, to declare the favorable year of the Lord. And then Peter stands up and he says, we're not, as, we're not drunk as you suppose. This is what the prophet Joel said. Where God said, I will pour my spirit out on all flesh, young and old. Your, your old men will have see dreams. Your young men will see visions, old and young alike. Even my servants and slaves, the Holy Spirit will be poured out upon them. That's the purpose, to transform the world. Isn't that amazing? The parallels between Jesus and the church. And guess what? It's all because of the same person. Our best friend, as David described him, the Holy Spirit. Just like Jesus, here's our challenge. Not to be like the world. And I mean this in a nice way. Not to be like other churches. It's not a time for copy and paste Christianity. Well, it's working for them this way, so I'll do that. No. It's just being like Jesus. In how Jesus is to be expressed in us and through us with who we are and where we are. By the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be a supernatural church. Thank you, volunteers. Can we give them a round of applause? They can't clap themselves. Their hands are full. Thank you. All right, last thing. 
So we've said that as a supernatural church, just like Jesus, we're heavenly, we're full of life, we're not super spiritual, superstitious, superficial, super serious. We're just like Jesus, the parallels there. And then this is the, the, the challenge for us. You know, what Jesus says this, it makes this incredible statement. He says, if you've seen me, what does he say after that? Then you must have good eyes, because I'm quite a long way off. <laughs> if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Well, here's, here's, here's our declaration. If you've seen us, you've seen the Son. We're the body of Christ. So once people have seen us, they've seen Jesus. We're just like Jesus. We're supernatural people. We're heavenly, full of life. Not super spiritual, not superstitious, not superficial, not super serious. We're full of the same person. Jesus healed, did amazing things all by faith and being full of the Holy Spirit. And that's our task, to be full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, John 7, 37, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink, and out of you will flow rivers of living water. And John says, and by this he meant the Holy Spirit who hadn't yet been sent because he'd not yet been glorified. But that's the initial point, being filled with the Holy Spirit, being baptized in the Spirit is step one for every believer. You know, go back to Joel. I will pour my Spirit out on some flesh. No, all flesh. And then God knows us. We'll be like, yeah, all flesh except me, Lord. I'm a man, men and women. I'm a bit, a bit too young. Young men will see visions. Oh, I'm a bit too old. Old men will dream dreams. I'm not quite good enough demographically. Even your servants. He knows what we're like. All flesh. When I said all, I meant it. But he keeps kind of laboring the point because we keep writing ourselves off to be filled. And then Ephesians 5.18, to continue to be filled by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, encouraging one another, creating an environment that the Holy Spirit loves and just feels completely at home in. If you want to make somebody come to your home, you create an environment that you know they'll enjoy being in and they'll be drawn to that. In the same way as we're worshiping and giving thanks and praying and spending time with the word, we create an environment. The Holy Spirit says, that's just like heaven. I'm going to fill that. Continue to be filled every day, constantly filled with the Holy Spirit, rivers of living water coming from within. Paul writes to Timothy. I've just looked at this verse in closing. 1 Timothy, uh, sorry, 2 Timothy 1, please, if you just turn that up. Two Timothy 1, verses 6 and 7. This is essentially Paul's very last letter. Um, he knows he's going to die soon. So this is what he has to say, he, you know, he always has significant things to say. But this is him sort of honing it down and passing it on to his spiritual son. And he says in verse 6, this is why I remind you. When I read things like that, I'm really encouraged. I think even Timothy needed to be reminded of certain truths. And, you know, you might have heard this stuff many times before. But it's really good to be reminded, isn't it? Because what we expect will determine what we accept what you expect will determine what you accept we ordered china, china uh, loads of stuff from chinese it was ages ago now one of the things that we ordered was sweet and sour chicken hong kong style is that the type the one with the balls and the sauce is separate the other one singapore style cantonese style oh, here we go cosmopolitan traveler julian bowden 
Anyway, just to say this, the chicken, the sweet, the, the, the chicken balls arrived, the sweet and sour sauce did not. So what did I do? I rang up the Chinese restaurant and I said, excuse me, I ordered sweet and sour chicken balls with sweet and sour sauce. The sweet and sour sauce has not arrived. Within a few minutes, the sweet and sour sauce arrived at our house. They brought it to us. Okay. Why? Because I wasn't willing to accept that because I expected something more. And although I've been given it, I knew there was more for me. And there are times when we are not to accept things because our expectations are higher than that. And what we see in the word, we, we may not be seeing the reality of it now, but we can continue to believe, to call on it, to, to bring it into being because we, our expectations are higher than what we've accepted at that point. And he goes on to say, may I remind you, I want you to not just, um, I want your expectations to be high here, Timothy. I want to remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift. Who gave it to him? Spiritual gift. God gave you when I laid my hands on you. And I read that and I thought, what another relief. When I lay my hands on somebody, it's God that does the giving. My job is to put my hands on. At that point, God does everything else. It's not dependent on me to make it work by my own willpower and special thoughts. But actually, I'm just laying my hands and then it's God that gives. It's what it means to be supernatural. And it's such a release. And then we're to fan that into flame. And he goes on to say, fan it into flame when I, uh, with spirit, uh, spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has given us a spirit as I'm sorry, has not given us, that not's really important, not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. And so that's God's heart for us as the supernatural church, to know what we can expect, to accept that, to receive that, to fan it into flame, to be led and to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. Can we stand together, please? This church here in Market Harbour is a supernatural church. I'm part of this wonderful supernatural church. This is the house of God. That's what we all belong to right now and we all are part, key components of that. Can I just ask where you are right now? If you just close your eyes. I'm just going to stand before the Lord together. Stand before Jesus together. He's our king. We've all decided that he's our king, he's our Lord. Put our faith and our trust in him. We've said to him, I know who you are, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God, I'm gonna follow you. Lord, as we make that statement again, Lord, in our hearts, as we fix our eyes on you, Jesus, we thank you that we set our sights on the realities of heaven. Lord, we've sung it this morning and we declare it again. You are the name above every other name. You are seated at the right hand of the Father. All of your enemies being made a footstool for your feet, Lord. And Lord, our lives are found in you. Our lives are hidden in you, Lord. And Lord, I pray for each one of us that you would give us this morning a fresh heavenly perspective of who we are as the people of God. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would stir us afresh. 
just pray right now for everything that's already been imparted, any spiritual gift, any laying on of hands, any time where you've moved in us and through us. We just decide right now to fan those things back into flame. If anything's begun just to, to lose any of its passion or its burning, and we just breathe back into it now, Holy Spirit. We fan into flame those things that lie within us, those spiritual gifts that cause us to be supernaturally effective for all that you have for us, Lord. And Lord, our prayer is help us, Lord, to be men and women of your purpose, to say that we understand the spirit of the Lord, you're upon us and you've anointed us to transform the world around us because we are the supernatural church of the living God, the house of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray that right now you'd minister to every person everything that's needed. Pray that there would be a provision of health where it's needed. Pray that there would be a fresh sense of peace as we've already prayed, Lord. Thank you that you just seal that by your Holy Spirit. Pray, Lord, that you'd cause our faith to be re-engaged, Lord. You'd cause our perspective to be in line with your views, Lord, and your perspective. Pray that there'd be a fresh hunger for your word, fresh desire to take time aside, Lord, to be with you and to pray. And that, Lord, that we'd see prayer as far the most effective way, Lord, of seeing things change around us. That we no longer strive and struggle. But, Lord, we do what we can, but we trust you with everything else. Pray that there be a release, Lord, for us in that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church, and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.